This is Ellen. This is Erica, and you're listening to the Holy District Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us once again in our What is the Church series. Um, Erica kicked us off with an introduction to our questions about how we understand the Holy District as church, even if it doesn't look like the kinds of elements that we often see in a church service. Um, And so we're going back to scripture and we're looking at what does scripture say the church is beyond the elements that we think need to be there. And Brooke started us off with church as gathering. And we were thinking about how all we really need to do first is just to be in community, Um, that we are called to be together, to share life together, um, that we are in Christ, uh, given the Holy Spirit to teach among us, um, and that we can learn from all that are present um, as we are learning from Christ. And then Dan led us this past Sunday in a conversation about church as the body, and he was talking about Um, some of the ways that a body functions, quite literally, um, as a body experiences pain, as a body experiences joy, and that because we are an imperfect body, um, we do experience pain. And that is a reality we have to contend with, um, but we also can experience great joy as a whole body, um, and that we can love and be surrounded in love for the parts of the body that experience joy and the parts of the body that experience pain. Um, And so I hope that that episode helped you to find a place um, that you fit in in the body, no matter what you are feeling about the church or how you approach the church, how long you've been a part of the church, um, that we are all valued parts of the church um, doing functioning differently. Um, and that that makes us just so much more beautiful. And so today we are, Erica and I <laughs> are going to talk to you about church as temple. Um, and this is kind of a little passion side conversation that we've been having. <laughs> Erica, would you want to say more on that? Yeah. So if you have been listening to the Holy District podcast for long enough, you have experienced kind of like our coffee and some part of the Bible conversations where I just kind of get to hang out with someone and we talk about the Bible and how we are understanding it and how we're interpreting it. So Ellen and I are going to do something pretty similar to that as we contemplate what it means for the church to be a temple. Now, temple imagery is all throughout the New Testament. But depending on our understanding of what the temple was, what its purpose was, how good, bad, or otherwise it might have been in the biblical story, we might interpret that in a number of ways, or we might just kind of assume it's just as one metaphor about the the way that the church meets. Ellen and I are going to just kind of have a fun nerd out session between ourselves because we really, Ellen is a lover of the Old Testament. And I've been chewing on this thing for a couple of years now as we were just thinking about what it means to be a holy district, which comes from the Old Testament and is a is the place where the temple is located in the heart of the holy district in Ezekiel. So I hope you guys are ready to just kind of grab your beverage of choice uh, 
and join in this conversation with us. And as always, we would love to hear your thoughts and feedback. We'll share details about how you can do that at the end of this podcast. So Ellen, what do you know about the temple? Well, let's start, let's start, let's start in Genesis. Little, little quick tour. Um, let's start there. Uh, so we start in the garden um, where God's presence is abundant and um, Adam and Eve and all creation are sharing in a communion with God. And um, there's no, there's no separation between that experience of God and God's presence. And when sin enters the world, um, there starts to be a distinction between what is common and what is holy, um, what is no longer able to be in God's presence because God's presence is so perfect and so beautiful um, and so good. It's just so good <laughs> that nothing that is not good can touch it. Um, because that not good thing will just vanish. It will just not exist anymore. Um, and so, uh, and so God goes on a mission to restore this connection with humanity and he chooses Israel as his people to do that. Um, and as they're, uh, one, as the Exodus happens and they're wandering in the desert, um, God gives them a space. He designates a specific kind of space. He gives all these kinds of instructions that oftentimes I think we want to skip over, but really they're just beautiful instructions about the perfection and the beauty. And um, it's it's God building a space to meet with his people. Um, and it's it's messy. It's, it's bloody in a lot of our images of what we think of sacrifice. This, uh, the temple, the tabernacle is where all these sacrifices that we read about are happening. Um, and it, it's so different from how uh, a lot of us in a Western context uh, function with uh, our relationships with animals. <laughs> um, it's just such a removed idea. Um, but what I hope is that if you were to read those um, building instructions that you would um, come to see some beauty that you would come to um, see the grace that God has to have a designated space where his people know that his presence is. And so this cloud after the tabernacle is built, this cloud descends on the tabernacle and it's seen to be filled with God's presence um, and it's filled with God's holiness. And so the tabernacle is a foreshadowing of what we will see as the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon will build. So there's three main spaces in a, in a temple structure. Um, there's an outer court and then there's another room. And then there's the innermost room where the Ark of the Covenant is. And if these words just seem really unfamiliar, that's okay. Um, you can enter this conversation from whatever knowledge you have or whatever not knowledge you have, um, you're welcome to dive more into this, or you're welcome to just take this and let it uh, speak to you in what it does and leave the other parts behind right now. That's okay. I just want to say that. Um, but if you are familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark of the Covenant is in that innermost room. Um, and it's where um, it's, it's just such a holy space. And anyone that tries to um, rush into that space or um, defile that space in some way 
is gone. They, they do not live to see another day. Um, that space is holy because it is so good. Um, and it is so beautiful and it is so perfect. Um, and I think it's truly incredible that God allows a a space on earth for that to happen. Um, Mm. I think that that is a big grace. Um, he didn't, he didn't need to do that, but that is how God decided to meet with his people. Um, and so this sacrificial system is set up. Um, it's a space to cleanse ourselves from sin and to be made right again with God, um, a space to reclaim that we are meant to be a holy and beautiful people, that we are meant to share goodness with the world. And we confess that we have not always shared goodness with the world. We have not always presented God's perfection and God's beauty um, in a way that truly honors his holiness. And so it's a, so we confess that. Um, And that's what the Israelites were doing. They were confessing that they didn't always get it right. um, And that they recognize that God is so holy that it's worth it to show that he is good and beautiful and perfect um, to the world. I love Ellen, how you have such a generous uh, view of this whole system, because I grew up being taught kind of like a law versus love dichotomy that you know, in the old Testament, they had it wrong. They thought following the law was going to make them right before God. And it never was. And that there was kind of like this dichotomy between righteousness, like a, a a pure righteousness and legalism. And so all of the temple language, all of the sacrificial system language, I received in a very negative way of like, yeah, they were just kind of missing the point. And as I have been on this like holy district journey, I've been learning to reinterpret and unlearn some of those assumptions that I had starting all the way back in Genesis, because when God created Adam and Eve, he made them his image bearers. He made them his earthly representatives, kind of like the first priests mm-hmm. and placed them in the middle of a paradise, which was the heaven on earth spot where God dwelled among humankind and this is what was lost in the rebellion of humankind and we see god pursuing that and finding ways to create heaven on earth spots to be with us so that we can experience forgiveness and we can experience communion and we can experience god's holiness at every stage of our journey from first that ideal in eden to then the tabernacle, to then the temple, and then eventually the person of Jesus, who is the heaven on earth person um, that brings the kingdom of God. I remember when I first started kind of having this awakening to, oh my gosh, the the sacrificial system is beautiful. Mm-hmm. The sacrificial system was instituted by God as a gift, not as a burden. And I really started to contemplate that. It really opened up so much more of the New Testament language about the temple for me. And also why Jesus was so frustrated and angry about the state of the temple during his earthly ministry. I think we're gonna get there in our conversation today. But one of the things that I did want to also mention or mention 
you were describing the instructions for the building of the tabernacle and then the building of the temple and how they're so lengthy and they're kind of can be a little boring if we don't understand what's going on. One of the insights that really helped me unlock the the intrigue of these very long sections of our Old Testament was starting to see the connection between what God was describing how to build and how to construct and how to decorate the temple and the tabernacle were actually so that those places would image heaven and would remind people of the fact that this was a place that was a heaven on earth place. This was a place where God was present, where God's God was willing to have his throne room um, um, here in the in the dirt amongst all of us dirt creatures. And that when we would come into the tabernacle or come into the temple, the the space itself, the place itself would be a reminder of the reality that heaven has come to earth to be with us and to make us whole. And so that then becomes like meditation literature, meditation bringing us back to the garden and bringing us back to the ideal rather than just like a long list of blueprints and cloth types and candle stands and you know whatever all of those things actually have symbolic significance which we're not going to get into today but it just gave a new light of like wow this is a thing of beauty this is a gift and i think even it's in leviticus that god says in in outlining the sacrificial system i am giving this to you and in the sacrificial system I believe that God was making it possible for Israel to experience the reality of forgiveness, atonement, and being restored to relationship with God, even while they were so deeply aware that they were not in Eden. They were outside of the garden. And it was through these ritual sacrifices that they had the opportunity to not only believe that God would forgive them and make things right, but actually go through a process through which they experienced the, something concrete to show, okay, yeah, we're, we're, I made a mistake. I've confessed it. I've, I've brought this to God in order to acknowledge that. And now, now we are at one again. That doesn't feel like a burden. That feels like a gift that God was giving and, and modeling something for us. How does, how does that strike you? Yeah, it reminds me of what what we see in the other cultures surrounding Israel in the ancient Near East, that they're constantly guessing at how to please their God. Um, they're trying to come up with ways to please that God, to get that God's attention, um, to come up with spaces that that God might accept. Uh, and here God is just saying, this is what I want. <laughs> this is what I need. This is what you need. Um, this is what we will need if we want to be in communion. Uh, and he takes all the guesswork out. Um, and, and, uh, uh, Egypt had like 2000 gods and goddesses, like just so many. I don't know. I don't even know how we know that because how would you possibly remember all of them? I have no idea. Um, but they had so many and they're constantly wondering, like, who to give this to. And, and, and I, I'm sure people had different opinions on who did what and, and how to get the thing that you wanted, whether that was 
um, children or crops or uh, some kind of riches. Um, and and God gives them a singular place. He is a, it is one God. Um, the Trinity is one. Um, and all the guesswork is gone. It's just, this is, this is how we're going to do this. Um, and he knew it was going to be imperfect and he knew people weren't going to honor it. Um, but it was honoring to us that he gave us his, his desires, um, that he communicated them. Um, and I, I just think that that's, that's really incredible. Um, because like you were saying, it can feel like such a burden to be like, wow, why do all this stuff? Like, can't they just talk to God? Um, but comparatively to what else is happening around them, this is a lot. Like this is, this is, this is all very, um, this is a, this is a lot that God is describing for them and, uh, and giving to them. Oh my goodness. And the generosity of God in the, in that. And then also another layer of my learning about the temple, check me if I'm misunderstanding any of this. I was kind of taught it was like, uh, you sacrifice an animal because something has to die. Like there has to be blood. And if there's not blood, it should be your blood, but something has to die. I don't see, I don't think that that's actually the sacrificial kind of atonement that is really presented in the Old Testament, but it really gave me this really scary, gory image of what animal sacrifice was about. As I've been unlearning that and uncovering what I think the true intent and really what, what the Bible itself says about this is that when people, first of all, there was, there were provisions made for every kind of person. So if you were poor and you didn't have animals and you didn't have livestock, you could bring grain or you could bring a, a, a bird or things that were much more available. So it, the every kind of um, position in society had a way to engage with God through the sacrificial system. It wasn't just the rich people. It wasn't just the powerful people. Every kind of person they were thought of in this process. And then the other part that I didn't realize was the animals that were being sacrificed were being eaten. <laughs> like <laughs> it wasn't just like this cultic blood draining process and you throw the the carcass on on a pile somewhere. The the animals that were sacrificed were were then parts of it were consumed, you know, on on the altar by the fire and that was a part of the uh atonement ritual between the person and God. And then part, the rest of it was eaten by the priests or eaten by the people in the community or eaten by the people who were um, participating in the reconciliation process through the sacrifice, this peace offering. And so it was kind of like a community barbecue that was going on <laughs> that included this, the blood on the altar representing the life, the, the, the innocent, pure life that can go before God and intercede for us. And, and represent us to God so that we can be made one again. And then a community meal so that everyone gets fed and everyone can be at peace with one another. That is such a different picture of the sacrificial system than I was taught when I was growing up. How, what do you think about that? Is that, am I getting it somewhere in the ballpark of how the sacrificial, the, the animal sacrifice thing actually worked? 
Honestly, I have not actually made that connection myself. And I find that really interesting. I'm going to probably sit with that. <laughs> um, oh. But yes, I had I have noticed that um, that some things have like are eaten, that it's not just like throw away the carcass. And I think that's an honoring of um, of creation. Like God doesn't just like want us to kill a bunch of animals and um, just waste uh, waste. <laughs> Life. yeah it it feels important to me because and maybe this is where we can start addressing some of those questions about so in the new testament when jesus gives us this image of that, that we are going to be the temple and and paul and the different apostles and writers of the new testament explore what it means to be the dwelling place of God's spirit and to be the temple of God and to honor God with our bodies and, and with our communities. Like what is, it matters what we think the temple did or the mm -hmm. tabernacle did when we're now being told that we are that place. Now the people who call Jesus Lord and assemble together as a body that we are in some actual legitimate way, the temple we are the place where we are that heaven on earth spot where atonement is experienced forgiveness is given where reconciliation and peace offerings can be offered where um god's holiness is taken seriously and attended to like all of these things it doesn't make sense if the temple is just this outdated archaic cultic place where people sacrificed animals because they misunderstood the, re the relationship between law and righteousness. Well, then what does that, then how, why is it even significant that we would be the temple? But if the temple is a heaven on earth spot where God's presence can dwell because it has been purified and separated and consecrated to God and has been shaped in a way to represent heaven and the garden a place that is served by priests and where every person in the community, no matter if you're rich or poor or whatever, has something that they can bring to offer in order to experience reconciliation to God. Well, then now that starts to make sense about why Paul mm -hmm. and the other writers of the New Testament would say we're the temple. It really matters how we understand these Old Testament concepts how fruitful the the metaphor will be to us as we're imagining what is it to be the church so ellen tell me what when we say the church is a temple that's this episode what does it mean to you to say the church is the temple and how do you see holy district enacting this aspect of our identity as the church when we say church as temple i i really liked what you just said about um the a place where we get to see heaven on earth um and and it's not a set apart place in a way that's um exclusive um it wasn't because as you were saying earlier um the the sacrificial system describes how all how all different people are able to participate. Um, so 
it's a, it's an open invitation. It requires some, um, recognition of who we are and who God is in order to enter that space appropriately, um, in order to be the, the church that is the temple. Um, we do recognize that we are not God. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is, that is very important. Um, and at the same time, it's also, an open invitation to anyone to realize who they are, who God is, and now how we're going to commune together. Um, And I think that's probably what I would say is the temple as church helps me understand communion between God and, and uh, his people Um, that there has been, that there is intentional space made for us to be in communion with God and communication with God. And that doesn't mean and when we say church, um, when we say church, as we've been talking in our discussion of gathering and body, we're talking about people. We're not talking about needing to be in a church building in order to have that communion in that space. Um, Jesus has opened that up to be people um, in the giving of the Holy Spirit. We are, we are the temple because we have God's spirit in us um, and through us. Um, and so that can take place in a physical building that we call a church, um, that we name as a church, or that can be um, us in communion in our homes. That can be us in communion at a park. Um, and this is where we're getting into how Holy District, I think, sees church as temple, um, that that we are able to be um, creating uh, safe spaces and um, open space, invitational spaces, um, in all of these different common areas. Um, we've been talking somewhat about this movement of common and holiness. Uh, when I say we, I mean, Erica and I (laughs) have been talking, uh, somewhat about this move, this dynamic movement of we're in a common space, we're creating community. And then we just like get to invite holiness into that. Um, and and the beauty of having the Holy Spirit is that that communion is always ready. Like it's all it's always at the ready to be happening. Uh, we don't have to. Oh, now we got to walk over to the temple slash a church building, and we got to like get our our things together. Got to get organized, and then we can invite holiness. And um, we're seeing that that holiness is just so ready to break in and is going to break in whether we participate in it or not. Um, we be- In the Holy District, we believe that God is working and we are trying to be attentive and open ourselves up as much as possible to be attentive to where God is moving and where that heaven on earth is already happening. Yeah. And, you know, we, one of the weird things about the way that we do church as the Holy District is we have two distinct spaces where we have our common spaces, like you were describing. And then we have our sacred space, which is our worship gathering, where only people who have professed Jesus as Lord participate in that gathering. And that's not to be exclusive, but it's to be particular. And I think that's something so interesting about the way that God works throughout the entirety of the biblical story is that God is always doing everything that God can to bring all of the nations into the Eden blessing. He does that in a particular way through a particular family, through a particular nation, and then through a particular person 
Jesus. Jesus is very particular, but he opens up the way to the Father for everyone, all, all people throughout all time. And when we think about our differentiated spaces, our common space is that just unapologetically uh, affirming space for every person as being the image bearer of God and deserving dignity, belonging, and to participate in something beautiful and life-giving. That itself is, to me, an act of worship to, to commune with others in that way, which doesn't ask anything of them except for them to bring themselves. The worshiping community, that space that we really clearly identified is particular for people who have made a decision to follow Jesus, is that place where we practice what we see in First Peter, the royal priesthood where we're saying everyone who is participating in this gathering is someone who is a priest. And what that means is they have not only something to offer as a part of the body, but they also have a role out in their lives every day as people who are maintaining themselves and their lives as a place where God's spirit is safely dwelling and at work and opening up to the community around them an opportunity for people to experience forgiveness, reconciliation, and to make a contribution or an offering to participate in the life of communion with God. And so our, our folks who are worshiping are being formed, we're being formed together into the image of Christ who is the high priest. He's the ultimate example of what the priest role was always meant to be. We're being formed by him. We're bringing our gifts and our offerings to the worship gathering where everyone contributes. And then we're being sent out into our lives to create space, common spaces of gathering and connection and beauty where we're extending that generosity of God to others and saying, you have something to offer. You are made in the image of God. You, you deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. You are not just the worst things about you. You are not just your problems. You are someone who deserves to be regarded. And it's possible to experience reconciliation and atonement and communion with others and with God. So those spaces are distinct, but they're also interconnected. And like you were saying, because the Holy Spirit is present in us, the church is like the church as a community. Tell me if this sounds right. The church as a community is the temple where the spirit dwells in all of us. But the individuals ourselves that make up the church are the priesthood. And each of us are priests who get to work within the temple structure, which is anywhere and everywhere that those who follow Jesus might find themselves in order to facilitate this experience of reconciliation and forgiveness in communion with God. I'm thinking about how sometimes um, I've heard this temple New Testament language used to describe individuals and how we strive for um, purity or um, how we are trying to 
keep ourselves in some, however we understand that word holiness, which I think often relates to that word purity in this conversation. Um, and what I, what I actually think Paul is trying to say, um, I, I liked what you made the distinction about us as priests, like we are the temple individually, we're priests, because that means that we don't, that means that we can enter messy spaces and we can enter like my brokenness is welcome and your brokenness is welcome. Um, because if I have to maintain a holy space, if I have to maintain a kind of purity that does not allow me to be in community with people that need to need to know Jesus, <laughs> um, that I think have a capacity to know Jesus, um, then uh, yeah, if I if I'm so focused on maintaining me as temple, that translates to an understanding of purity or a holiness that does not allow other people to come in and does not give space for my brokenness. Um, then I rendered powerless as a proclaimer and demonstrator of the kingdom of God because your whole yeah. your imagining is to separate yourself from contamination where Jesus models for us, Jesus first is the temple and, mm -hmm. and Jesus is the high priest. So he, he is our example of what it means to be the temple and to be priests in the, in the royal priesthood. And the kind of the way that Jesus is the temple is that he brings the heaven on earth spot to every person that he encounters and the holiness of God, which he is and embodies and represents is the healing force that that drives out the enemy and that cleanses people from their sickness which is sin and sets people free from their bondage and their yeah and, and wh whatever it is that is oppressing them that's how god's holiness works and so if if really the point of being the temple was about keeping ourselves pure and and making sure that we're not in relationship to people that we perceive as being impure or unclean or sinful or whatever it may be, then we can't follow Jesus because Jesus is touching all the people you're not supposed to touch. Jesus is having dinner with all the people you're not supposed to associate with. Jesus himself condemns the way that the temple was functioning during his time and prophesies its destruction. However, in the same way, he gives us a more beautiful vision of what the temple was always meant to do and be, just to be that place for reconciliation of the nations back into communion with God. And I love that you make that designation from, we are in a culture that is hyper-individualistic. And so when we go to the scriptures, which were written by a communal honor-shame culture and written in that context, we interpret the teachings many times from a very individualistic perspective. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for misunderstanding when we do that. And so that's why I think that that distinction of priesthood is helpful um, because it still is related to that temple imagery. And we're not going to understand the priesthood if we don't understand the temple. We're not going to understand the temple if we don't understand the priesthood. Um, and that's not to say that anyone that has not touched those words or topics before is missing some kind of understanding. That's not to say that. Um, 
blessed to say that if that imagery is intriguing to you, um, perhaps there is something there that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to re relearn, rethink, um, learn anew. Um, and I would invite anyone that's interested in that to engage with that. I think Erica, you had a passage from Hebrews that might give some light to priesthood. Yeah. Hebrews chapter eight and nine. If you want to go explore that, it's a sermon that's talking about the supremacy of Christ and, and in this section about kind of the tabernacle and the old covenant and Jesus as high priest. So, um, and, and the earthly and heavenly sanctuaries. So I definitely encourage you to explore that. And then the verse in first Peter two, nine, that's where we get this idea about being a priesthood. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the excellence of who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So this is, this is such a deep dive. Like if you really, Ellen and I could do this podcast for like 10 hours straight and not eat and we would feel fine. Um, <laughs> would probably want to die but we would have such a great time but this is something that really i think deserves a lot of meditation we don't have time to help you necessarily do all of that right now but i did maybe as we come to a close for this episode ellen i wanted to bring those questions back to mind that we've been considering for this podcast like what is the church and is being a part of the holy district or something like this enough is this a legitimate form when we think about the church as a temple or as the temple, I'm feeling really curious right now to say, do prevailing models of church actually reflect what it means to be the temple when we have this broader understanding or maybe even more particular understanding of the temple? The way that, like the prevailing way that we've come to understand that church, what church is, is church really a place where everyone gets to come and make an offering or a sacrifice in order to experience oneness and communion and forgiveness and reconciliation? Think about the language of gift in the New Testament and the language of offering and sacrifice. Every time you see the word offering or sacrifice in the New Testament, that is a hyperlink to the temple and, and the tabernacle and the sacrificial system. So. Are our prevailing models or what we have come to think about as church, are are those are, are we really creating spaces where every person, regardless of their position, their money, their education, has an opportunity to come and make an offering, come and give a gift, come and experience reconciliation? Is it a place where people are treated and developed as priests, priests who are responsible for maintaining and um, participating in the in that actual place crafting of this is this is what it's this is like heaven here we we have created a place of beauty where people get to experience heaven on earth when they are in this place is is this a place where reconciliation and forgiveness are enacted through actual concrete processes where people know and experience that a change or a transformation has occurred? Is it a place where we eat together? Is it a place where we feed, you know, the community is fed through our offerings and our sacrifices? 
that was actually, this is the actual experience of participating in a temple structure. Are those the things that are happening in our, in, in the way that we kind of think of church? I know for me, what we experience through the Holy District, all of those things are at play. It's scandalous for some people because the way that we do our worship gatherings is so high participa participation and there's no sermon. By the way, priest didn't preach sermons. Mm -hmm. That's priest didn't preach. That wasn't their role. Their role was maintaining the holy space and getting bloody and creating opportunities for people to exp to give their gifts, to make their sacrifices, to, to give their offerings so that they could experience communion with God. So people are like so taken aback that we don't have a sermon in our worship gatherings. But if we're a group of priests, yeah, we're, we're coming here to be formed together and to learn from Jesus and to study and to have our lives shaped in communion with one another. But we're trying to make a heaven on our space. That doesn't mean that we have to have a sermon. I know that's like so scary for like a Protestant to say. Um, so I would just say like, this is a really fun one if you want to go down a path to feel really disconcerted and disoriented for a little while <laughs> to really think about your experience of church and how much is it really like the beautiful gift of the temple that was given to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. By the way, who were the Jewish people who followed Jesus? By the way, who were the Jewish people who wrote the letters and the gospels and all of the texts that make up our Old Testament? I've been talking for a long time. Ellen, <laughs> uh, discipline me, scale me back, to make a correction or what? Yeah. What do you think? Um, I want to add that the priests also had a responsibility of communicating scripture. Mm -hmm. um, so just because a holy district worshiping gathering does not have a specific person um, in charge of um communicating some truth, which we believe is still an important practice. Um, but we've decided to place that practice in other ways, um, such as in this podcast, um, and let that be a communal space and a space that we build together. Um, but we do spend time in scripture. Um, and that is a priestly thing to do, <laughs> um, is to know scripture, to know it well, um, and to help interpret it for one another. Instead of having one interpretation, we open the floor to having multiple interpretations being voiced out. They could be already decided interpretations. They could be questions. Um, and it's a way of us learning from each other. Um, and it's not because we all think we're all right. <laughs> um, and it's not because we're all wrong either. Um, we are um, believing that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal itself differently based on our experiences and how we come to scripture, um, what we, what we have come to learn, um, and what we would like to learn. And we're going to do that together, um, as opposed to one person sharing and then everyone else deciding whether or not they're going to do anything with it or whether they have a safe space to process what their questions might be about scripture or what they're what they're learning like we get so excited that we get to learn from each other in the moment um 
that we get to know what our community is thinking about and um, that we are going to hear from each other. So I don't want, I don't, I, I think it's, we want to distinguish that sermon does not automatically mean there is no scripture. Right. Sermon and teaching are not necessarily the same thing. And sermon and scripture are not necessarily the same thing. So we have a, such a high regard for scripture that it's dialogue around the scripture is the main thing that we do in our community or in our worship gatherings. We just, I think it's our attempt when we talk about the church as a body and Jesus is the head, we talk about the church as a temple that we are the priesthood and Jesus is the high priest. Like I think in the way that we structure our gatherings, we're always trying to structure ourselves in a way that no individual person begins to believe that they are the head or no individual person begins to believe that they are the high priest, but that we are all, we are all equal. We are all brothers and sisters. We are all co-heirs with Christ. We are all part of the Royal priesthood. We are all submitting ourselves to the headship and the Lordship of Christ. We are all, um, underneath the, the high priestly role of Jesus, the high priest who is at the right hand of the father, none of us, regardless of our schooling or our role or our title or what we think we may know can or wants to ascend to that place of headship or supreme authority or high priest that's that role is already taken and it's got the perfect person um, occupying it <laughs> it it might sound extreme but it's how we are trying to live out the kind of subversive countercultural teachings of Jesus about humility and gentleness and his lordship um, and what it means to regard one another, all of us equally as image bearers of God. And so, yeah, it, it would be really easy. I'm glad you made that clarification to say, well, they don't have a sermon, therefore they're not talking about the Bible. No, we're talking about, that's all we're doing is talking about the Bible and our worship gatherings and serving one another communion and sending one and one another out as priest into our context. We just have a little bit of a different way of doing it. I every week more and more and com am compelled as I experience the Holy district myself as a part of its body, um, that this is such a transformational way to experience what it is to be the church. Do you have any, uh, uh closing thoughts or reflections before we wrap up this chat about the church is a temple. I think one thing that I'm still thinking about that uh, hasn't been expressed um, is that uh, the temple, temple imagery, I feel like just can feel kind of, kind of scary big. Um, I mean, the temple was a big building. <laughs> it was a very, it was a very recognizable building. Um, and it was, it was so, oh my gosh, there's a deer walking outside my door. Wow. That was like <laughs> five feet away from me. That was cool. Um, anyway, sorry. The temple can just feel like really big. Um, and we're finding significance in that, but we're also finding significance in that as Christ becomes the temple, that the temple is, is scaled down to us. Um, which is yet, I think, another grace um, that we were given a space to commune 
with God, uh, we being the history of, of uh, the Jewish people, we were given a space to commune with God. Um, and then God even scaled that down more to being like, actually, let me give you my son. Um, let me give you a, an opportunity in the spirit to commune with, with him um, and with, with God as one. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's a grace in and of itself that we get to commune with a person. Um, because what started to happen was the, the building started to be the big deal. The temple was the big deal. Um, it was where all this political and uh, religious power was being expressed. And that's what Jesus um, is so uh, zealously overturning in the temple is that it had become about the it had become about the building it had become about the structures it had become about the leadership it had become about uh, money <laughs> it had become not about people and not about God and so Jesus in overturning the temple but in just being the temple himself and being the great high priest that Hebrews talks about um, God is scaling that down more and giving us even less to worry about. Uh, uh, and it's not that we stop confessing sin. It's not that we stop seeking holiness. Um, it's just that it's become an even more um, intimate and even more communal uh, opportunity. And so we're not asking to reach. I don't want anyone to like leave this episode being like, wow, they're so excited about the temple. I guess they just like want to build one again. Um, that's not what's actually happening. And if you heard that, I would encourage you to try to listen again. Um, or maybe this isn't the conversation for you right now. And uh, we hope that another one of these images of body gathering or what else we'll talk about in the future um, will be an image that does resonate with you about the church. Um, but if this is resonating with you, it's not because we're going to go build another temple and we're going to reinstitute animal sacrifice. We're finding some grace and some beauty in that because of who God is, not because of what it is. Um, and because of who God is, we have Jesus. And that that is so exciting. <laughs> and that is what we are most excited about is communion with God. Um, and the temple is a way of us thinking about that communion. Totally. And it makes me think, Ellen, that as as we're chatting about this, if you, the listener, are curious about doing that deep dive and actually uncovering some of what the sacrificial system was about, what the tabernacle was about, what the temple was about, and all of the, there's so much literature in the Old Testament that is shaping are thinking about this that maybe we just have you know we haven't had the opportunity individually or in our context or in our walk with jesus so far to unpack let us know if that's something that you care about because we would be happy to focus a future series on that we can definitely have more conversations and meditations and reflections as we continue to discover through our life through our experience and through our relationships with one another what does it mean to be the church? I think we all know that the church isn't something that we go to. It's something that we are, but practically working that out and living that out is a little bit more difficult. And so we hope that as we continue to have more conversations in the next coming weeks and examine the church from all, you know, a couple other metaphors and analogies and passages within the Bible, 
that this doesn't just feel theoretical to you, but it feels practical. Like, oh, this is how I am participating in what it means to be the church where I live, where I work, where I play. Whether you are in a position where you can gather together with a Holy District community or you're a part of another faith community, or you don't really know how you feel about church in general, and you're just curious and open. We hope that this is more than just intellectual jargon, and it actually seeps down into the lived lives of of all of us together as we are just taking our spiritual journey one step at a time. To close our time together, we're going to read the opening of the Gospel of John. Here we see Jesus being described as the one that's come to dwell with us, to tabernacle with us. That tabernacle, temple, all of these images coming together in the opening of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks for listening to the Holy District podcast today. The Holy District is an expanding network of grassroots, Jesus-centered community building, currently multiplying in Pennsylvania and Arizona. We are grateful to share scripture with you and to hold space to hear what God might have for us and our communities each week. If this podcast brought up some questions or concerns um, or even just some reflections, we'd love to hear them. You can go to our website, holydistrict.org, and you can go to our contact form, which I believe is under a heading called Talk to a Pastor. Um, and you can put those there and we will read them and get back to you if that is something that you'd like. You can find us also on social media at Rediscover Sacred.